Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello there, and welcome to Locked On Suns, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Kellen Olson, your host of Locked On Suns. We are fresh off, and I mean fresh off, the final buzzer just rang about two minutes ago, a 102-95 Suns win over the Dallas Mavericks. It was a basketball game, to say the least. Another really ugly one, really the third straight Suns game that has just not been very enjoyable to watch. The Clippers had no Blake Griffin or Chris Paul. Then there was Miami missing six rotation players, and Dallas is probably arguably the least talented team in the league. Today I'm not joined by Eddie House, but I am joined by a good friend of mine, Brian Giverman. Brian used to be on the Empire of the Suns podcast with me over at Arizona Sports, and if you follow him on Twitter, he is a very opinionated person who I'm happy to hear his thoughts on Earl Watson and various other people who he has not uh, aired out his grievances to on a podcast yet after doing it pretty much all of last season. Brian, how are you doing today? I like the switch of roles. This is a little bit easier for me. Yeah, you're used to uh, being the host and everything, and now now I am the one directing traffic. Yeah, I just get the show. Uh, speaking fun. of directing traffic, can we talk about the play in that game? And by the play, I mean you saw it as a direct tanking move. I saw it as less of that, but either way, if you missed it, uh, there was about a minute left, and I want to say the Suns were up one, up three. I didn't. It was exactly. one or th- I think it was three. I think it was three at that. Point, it was a one not possession 100%. game for sure. There was an offensive rebound and the ball was flying through the air. And Andrew Bogut had about a half second to a second to look back into his backcourt and see where everyone was at. And he went for a tip. And I think what happened was either Darren Williams or Steph or Seth Curry, whoever was back there, was already back on defense. And he kind of tried to hit it like halfway across the court. But to you. It looked like he intended to do what he did, which was he hit the ball directly to Devin Booker and started a three-on-one Suns break in one of the greatest tanking moves of this decade. What are your but thoughts on it? But here's the thing. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't like Tyson Chandler like slaps the ball and taps it back. That's true. And it's not, and it's not necessarily going to be the most accurate. He's just trying to hit the ball away from the rim, and he's hoping that someone's back there. This he like turned he cupped it and threw it. It was it wasn't like a, a slap. He had the ball in his hands and he like pushed it and threw it. Like so Booker that's didn't the move. difference. He hit it right no, to and it Booker. just went right to Devin Booker. It was incredible. Yeah, man, Andrew Bogut. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Maybe he's just taking it easy because he's on a really bad team. I can't tell if he like has it or not. Just judge off that. Oh, one he game. didn't. He didn't but, give the slight slightest crap in this game. Yeah, he did not care at all in that game. I think it's just safe to say that he did not attempt a shot, which is not crazy for Andrew Bogut. He had two assists, two steals, one block uh, for the Mavericks, and really, it was just strange to see the Mavericks be that bad because Rick Carlisle has always found a way to make players like Darren Williams, Wes Matthews, like last season, make them good. And even Dirk, he had 13 points in that game, and nearly all of them were pretty much gifts, wide-open shots. And I think a lot of that had to do with the Suns attacking him on offense so much and him just 
not wanting to do that, not used to doing that much work. Tyson Chandler had 18 rebounds in the game as well, but they had a plan of attacking Dirk, but they didn't really execute it that well at times, or even Bogut, honestly, who's not moving that well at all at this stage in his career. No, the the Suns offense, it, it worked out tonight because Knight, Booker, and Bledsoe all made their jump shots. It's not like they were taking incredibly better shots than they typically do. Tonight, they went in. I mean, he had Brandon Knight. He was celebrating over Seth Curry. I'm just, like, sitting there. He's, like, holding <laughs> up his arm and, like, posing right over Seth Curry. I'm just like, dude, come on, man. But it was just uh, both teams' guards were very generous to each other because Williams, Harris, and... Matthews got wherever they want on the court, too. I think the Suns had a, just a little. Their bigs were Len and Tyson. I mean, with Dirk at center, he offers just no resistance. Bogut didn't play with an ounce of caring. So the Suns' <laughs> big men were kind of the where the difference was made in this game. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is kind of funny because I, I've seen it. I saw it in the Miami game at points, too. It kind of looked like they were getting their swagger back a bit. And I, I haven't seen much uh, – I follow a, quite a few fans on Twitter. It's nice to kind of get, like, the reaction of fans and stuff and see that. And I didn't see a lot of people tweeting about it positively or negatively. But it's going to be interesting to see here if they start winning a couple more games, albeit they play Dallas again and they have a couple of uh, bad teams coming up again. If they start to win a couple, it's going to be interesting to see if they play with that swagger because they're still a very bad basketball team. They're 11-25 and 25 currently, so – like you said, Brandon Knight holding up his arm over Seth Curry when neither of those guys can really guard each other at all is a really strange thing to see. Oh, it, but I'm not. I'm not. I, you know what? I'm not criticizing him for it. He's playing hoops. You got to have fun playing. That's game. that's I'm true. Gonna, so I'm not criticizing. Just visually, it was it was fun to watch, <laughs> and I'm and I'm going to make fun of him for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Gosh, man, I don't know where to start. Uh, Gibby, I've been talking to with about the Suns really since I started working at Arizona Sports about a year and a half ago, two years ago. And one of the main memories I have of our podcast over the summer was you were willing to, or over the break, I should say, of the, well, it was the summer, actually, I am right. Uh, Was you willing to give a fresh start to Earl Watson? You were willing to look at all of the mistakes that he was making as an interim coach playing the veterans too much, playing the dual center lineup, things like that. You're willing to look that aside. I know the answer already, but have you, has your opinion changed of Earl Watson since last year to this year? All right, let's go here. The structure of the lineups has been better. The two bigs almost rarely play. He mainly plays small ball with some sort outside of when or either small ball or with Chris and Bender at the four. So that's a positive. Yeah. Most recently, he's inching towards playing uh, smarter rotation that includes Chris and Bender playing regularly, and Tyler Youth was starting to play, but then he went back to the bench for night to night. So that got that part got that got xed out. So the next step is Barbosa stops playing, even though he's been good in Euless plays is the next area. That's basically the last area of concern for me that I care about Mm -hmm. for what Watson needs to do this season. Now, schematically, he's the same mess he's been. I mean, the offense is as it was tonight. It's just give the ball to those guards, and if they do well, the offense looks okay. If they don't do well, which happens far too frequently. even I mean, Bledsoe's efficient, but his three-point shooting's down. 
they all turn the ball over. Booker take, I don't know, the battle between who takes a worse shot on a nightly basis between Booker and Knight is uh, something you should bet on because it's hard to decipher. Oh, there's just a lot of bad. And, it, I mean, they're initiating their offense, though, with a ton of Tyson PNR. And Tyson's just not the same. Even though he's, so, he's having a more effective year than last year, it's building, building a team around him on both ends just isn't something you can do anymore. I'm glad you brought up the rotations because that is something I've wanted to talk about recently is that we're starting to see it took 36 games too long. We're at game 37 now coming up, but Marquise Chris at 18 minutes, Warren at 24, Chandler at 28, Bledsoe at 30, Booker at 36, and then off the bench, Bender with 13, Tucker with 34, Len 17, Knight 26, and Barbosa 14. I think you talked about Barbosa sitting for Euless and then We've got to assume that P.J. Tucker is on the move. That's something we're going to talk about in a bit. And that's going to open it up to where Chris and Bender can both get over 20 minutes. I think you're starting to see a nice, solid rotation there. One thing you tweeted about earlier in the week that I wanted to bring up that we haven't discussed on the podcast yet, and since you you tend to be more critical, you can say this better than I can. Watson has failed to figure out how to get the most out of his players when they get going. We saw it from T.J. Warren. We've seen it from Devin Booker where like the rotation in terms of changing it on the fly, and I'm sure he does change rotation on the fly, I'm not saying he doesn't, but whenever Booker and Warren have it going, he doesn't really seem to know how to keep that going throughout the rest of the game by making it better and easier for them by running the right plays for them, having them on the floor with the right people, and having them on the floor in general. Uh, can you expand on that a bit? Yeah, his, his change, when, when guys are having big nights, his change is basically just to leave them out on the court and not take them out. Like, he'll regularly, if someone's hot, have them play over 40 minutes in a game. That's just not smart. Look, it's, it, at this point in the season, a playoff game or something like that, and that there's different scenarios or a huge game at the end of the season, but we're just talking about your run-of-the-mill regular season games, you have to be able to stick with some sort of consistency to what you do. Now, every once in a while, you want to have a guy's Someone plays great in the first quarter, so you have them start the second quarter, and then you end up taking them out a little bit later than you normally do. Like a little minutiae like that, that's fine. But just your, your plan to be when a guy's making shots or playing really well, oh, I'm just going to play him 45 minutes. That, that's, that's not coaching. That's, it's not abuse. It's just uh, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I, I don't know what the right – I'm not sure what the right word – well, it's unfortunate properly. for one. It's it's unfortunate for one. That's for sure. Yeah, you just have to be able to ma- you have to be able to manage the roster better than that with players playing poorly or well. Yeah, there's a certain expectation you can set for a coach and being someone who has never been a head coach in the NBA before. Before, but I don't think it's ever supposed to be like this. Uh, something I've talked about before in other outlets is that. There are national writers that start watching the Suns and they're like, what exactly is the team's plan on offense or defense? It doesn't seem like they have one, and there probably is one, but like you've said, the one on offense appears to be just getting the guards in a bunch of ball screen scenarios and letting them really create their own shot. Zach Lowe had that piece in the Earl Watson Q&A about a month ago where it's like the a position ending with a pick-and-roll ball handler either uh, creating an assist uh, having a turnover or taking a shot, the percentage of possessions the Suns have that happen is by far the most in league history since uh, Synergy 
sports has been tracking that for the past like five or six years or whatever. And I think that's been the problem with the offense. And I think that's why this team has been, that's one of the main reasons why this team has been worse than we thought it was going to be. Yeah. And pick and roll is good. You want to run a healthy amount of pick and roll. You just need some sort of secondary action to work with when that doesn't go wrong, when it goes wrong. And just to give yourself some diversity and make yourselves tougher to defend instead of having all the guys off the ball just standing there looking around and doing nothing. Yeah, it's it's a problem, and I'm not sure when it's going to get fixed. I honestly did not think that there's a chance that Earl Watson had his job in jeopardy at all uh, for this season or next season, really, because he was really they didn't interview anyone else for the job. It's clearly his job. But with the way the product is looking on the court and with the way the rotations were prior to this like two weeks ago, I still don't believe his job is in jeopardy, but it's becoming something that is worth discussing, at least like pondering, like if it is or not. I didn't see that as a possibility at all. And do you agree that his job could be in jeopardy this year? Um, No, I just think it's all tied to McDonough. If McDonough goes, Watson's going to go. They'll just clean house and start completely all over. I don't think they will fire Watson separately. If Sarver decides he wants to get rid of McDonough, I would think maybe they let Watson finish the year or he just cleans house all at once. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to P.J. Tucker because if you do not follow Giverman on Twitter, that is at Giverman10, you will know that he is a diehard Michigan fan and he is a diehard New York Knicks fan. His New York Knicks are reportedly, I don't know the extent of the rumor, you can uh, let me know after I finish the intro to the discussion point here, but basically P.J. Tucker could be could be a interesting piece for the New York Knicks because Jeff Hornacek is looking for guys who hustle on defense. He has history coaching P.J. Tucker and knows that he is capable of doing this. The fit just seems to be really good. Uh, What exactly was the report, Gibby, and what are your thoughts on it uh, being a Knicks fan? It was from uh, Ian Bagley, and I think the way you described it was uh, that was a gist of what was the gist of what the report was. The Knicks could be interested. I forget whether he said they talked to them or not. I know Gambo said on the radio that there have been no discussions recently between the teams. Uh, I actually think it could. there's a deal to be made that could make sense for both sides. Uh, Kyle Quinn's on a cheap contract with the Knicks. He's nothing special, but he's played better this year than last, even though that's starting to regress a little bit. After the season, I think he has two years and $8 million left on his contract, and what he can be for the Suns is either a third big if they a third center, if they have Len and Chandler still, if they end up re-signing Ch- uh, Len as a restricted free agent, or he can be a backup to a cheap backup option to Chandler if Len goes somewhere else. The Knicks need a, could use another wing. I know they have Lance Thomas, but another wing could help them shift more towards smaller lineups with Melo. At the four and would open up time for Willie Hernan Gomez, who's a good young big they have with some upside to be their third center and play a couple more minutes each half regularly. So I that that seems like if they could do a Tucker for a Quinn trade straight up would be something that I see logic in for both teams. Yeah, I didn't really see a scenario where the Suns were going to be able to unload PJ Tucker for a legitimate basketball asset. I'm not saying that. Kylo Quinn as a third center is something you should freak out about, but at the same time, he is someone who is going to be on an NBA roster. He does deserve to be on one, and he can help teams out. Isn't Would you say he's a below-average NBA backup center? I would say he's average. Um, this year, he's been 
he's had okay, so he had he's had stretches where he's been below average. He's had stretches where he's been the a good chunk of time where he was below average. He had games here and there where he was average, and then he's had a about a two to three week stretch this season where he was well above average. Yeah, that was how I would just that was one of the games against the Suns, right? Where he had like twenty two and fifteen or something crazy. Yeah, yeah, he killed the Suns in that game that the refs cheated. Yeah. Oh, they did. Oh, sorry. Didn't, yes. Didn't catch that from from the box. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But my, anyway, my point is that I, he's a basketball asset, and I, I expected them to just get like an expiring contract and a pick or something for PJ. But I think that's a good deal for them. I know I, this sounds crazy to me, and especially from an asset collect uh, an asset standpoint. But I'm not sure if the Suns are at a point when they want to let go of Allen Williams, considering where they're at as a team and his, this is crazy to me that I'm saying this out loud, but his role as like an energizer and really the vocal guy on the bench. High five coordinator. Yeah, the high five coordinator, the leader in high fives, whatever you want to call him. And he has had stretches where he's shown that he can be an end of the bench guy. So the upgrade from him to O'Quinn is there. But I guess the value, of course, is getting rid of P.J. Tucker, but I think there are other ways to get rid of Tucker as well. So I actually don't agree with the fit for the trade, which is wild for me to say again because it's, a lot of it is based on Adam Williams being the energy guy on the end of the bench. But yeah, you could I, have both of them. Why you not could have, have both, both of them. them. That's true. Hmm. I'd have to think about it, but it, it's something where I think they could get rid of Tucker on in other situations when they wouldn't have to take on another guaranteed contract. But at the same time, I was just saying that they are acquiring a, a true basketball asset as opposed to the other deals that I've thought up. So that's something to keep an eye on for sure. One thing I wanted to get from Gibby here before he goes is that what are your thoughts on where the Suns are at now? Because it's we're, we're 35 games into the season. My thoughts on the team have certainly changed from preseason to this season in terms of where they are for the future. A good deal of that has to do with Devin Booker having a sophomore slump a bit. A good deal of that has to be with the Brandon Knight situation. Um, where are you at with the team and uh, their future? Um, I think it's the right time to trade Bledsoe. I think it's the right time to trade Knight. I don't think they'll do it, but I would trade Chandler, and I would keep around Dudley. Uh, move obviously, you move Tucker, and then you just you gotta you let the kids let the kids play, and maybe look to add another Dudley type vet in the off season, along with drafting one of the top point guards with the with the pick you're gonna have instead of trying to stupidly fight for the eighth spot here, which there because of the patheticness of the Western Conference, they're not all that far out of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the hope is that you build a future core around if they want to re-sign Len, which is the thing we keep saying because it's not at the point where it's crystal clear to re-sign Len and make him your number one center of the future. We'll have a better idea after all the games have wrapped up this season. But the idea is to make your really your core around Warren, Len, and Booker as really the older guys of the core. And then Chris Bender and the guy that you take in this draft along with Tyler Eulis is really the guys for the future too to mix it in. But the problem is Warren and Len are only 23. Booker, of course, is just coming off his rookie season. And you would be a while out, but at the same time, it seems like that's just where they're at, Gibby. Like you said, it just seems like moving Bledsoe is not something we thought that they should do in the summer, but now it seems like it's just time to completely hit the hard reset, huh? Yeah, and then the biggest question you have long-term with this team is, can you put together a functional defense with Devin Booker and Marquise Chris? And TJ Warren. 
and TJ Warren. I think Warren's been a little bit better than those two, though. I don't want to put him in a category. Yeah, so. he's improving, but he's still below average for his position, which is yeah, but, the position PJ Tucker is playing right now and is guarding guys like Harrison Barnes, Carmelo Anthony, etc. That is what Warren would have to do if Tucker was moved. And, man, he's far away from that, to say the least. Yeah, but you're looking at Booker and Chris, who are arguably the two worst defenders at their position in the league. And building a good defense around two guys like that. And look, there's the possibility they improve. They're both kids. That's possible. It's also possible that it doesn't, the best case scenario doesn't play out. So the Suns have to internally analyze and project what they think is going to happen with those two defensively, because that's just not, you can't play basketball with two. I mean, you'd be offense. You'd have to have a warriors level offense to get around these guys defensively right now. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's it's tr- really troubling that there could be a situation down the line where Chris and Booker actually develop, but their defense hasn't caught up yet, and you have to make that decision. I think that's kind of where – would you compare it to where Portland is at right now where they have to look at Lillard and McCollum and say these two players have far exceeded our expectations for what we got in the draft, but at the same time – there's probably not a championship in their future if those are their two starting guards. Yeah, I mean, that's that's like the best case scenario from the bad standpoint of what could happen. Obviously, the best case scenario from the good standpoint is they both learn how to play defense and are strong offensive players. But if they both pan out, can't play, at least you can move one of them for something really good. Like if Portland decided to trade Lillard or McCallum, they'd get, they'd get some excellent pieces back yeah for sure I'm really looking to keep an eye on CJ McCollum at the trade deadline and uh I was gonna ask your opinion on a couple of NBA things later but we have to go we'll have you on again soon I didn't I don't even know if I mentioned this at the top but Eddie is out again today and we are out on Friday so we'll be back on Monday the Suns play the Cleveland Cavaliers on Sunday I encourage you if you have never seen LeBron James in person he is in the valley on Sunday he is definitely worth the price of admission I've seen him a few times myself Go see one of the best basketball players of all time before he is gone, folks. Believe me, you will regret it. If you don't, uh, we will be back on Monday, though. I'm pretty sure Eddie will be back by then. But if not, we'll keep filling in here until Eddie is back. Until then, guys.